Mr. Spiritual, <coughs> looking on the bright side, that uh, even though there's a small meeting here, <coughs> it gives me the opportunity of preaching it again some Sunday morning to an entirely new audience. Second Peter chapter two <coughs> verse one <coughs> tells us but there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies even denying the Lord that brought them that bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction <clears throat> he's speaking here of the Old Testament of Israel <clears throat> among the people that came out from Egypt through the wilderness there were always false prophets in their midst trying to take them back to the world that they had been saved from call was if you brought us into the wilderness of the no graves in Egypt there no food in the wilderness we had food in Egypt and he always tried to distract them from the things that God had promised them And he says, there's going to be false teachers among you. And it appears from what it says here that the, there shall be false teachers among you. It looks as if he's looking towards the future. And so I'd say that at the time that he's writing to this group, they may not have been evident. And it appears that while they were there, they were not yet visible or active in those churches. But by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, knew, Peter knew that they were there. And that the leaders of the churches must be alerted. Uh, it's unlikely that a false teacher is going to knock on your door and say, I would like to come into your house and teach you to believe things that are not true. It's most likely that he will ask you if you're concerned about the present state of the world. And he would like to tell you that there's nothing to worry about, but he will teach you how that you can be part of God's great plan for a new world. Or it may be that they'd say that things aren't working well down here. If you'll let us come in and teach you, we'll show you how you can be ruler in your own kingdom. Here Peter is speaking of attacks from within because we all know and are aware of the attacks 
the attacks that are from without. He says there'll be false teachers among you. Now, there's a term that some of you may not be fully <coughs> familiar with. Uh, certainly knew about it as I was growing up during the war. That was World War Two, of course. Uh, the term was a fifth column. The fifth column is an undercover group of factious or subversive agents who attempt to undermine a nation's solidarity by any means at their disposal. The term is credited to a nationalist general uh, during the Spanish Civil War, 1936 to 39, which is in my time. This small force moved into the capital or tried to capture the capital of Spain, Madrid. A newspaper reporter asked the general how he hoped to take a city with only four columns of soldiers. He replied, I already have a fifth column inside the city. He was referring to his supporters within the capital already intent on undermining the loyalist government within it. The main technique of a fifth column is the infiltration of sympathizers into the entire fabric of the nation under attack and particularly into positions of policy decision and national defense. From such key posts, fifth column activists exploit the fears of the people by spreading rumors and misinformation. Peter didn't use that term, but he foresaw the practice. How else could our mainline churches have accepted the sin and corruption of this world with hardly a voice of dissent. Certainly it did not come about by force from the outside, but by a slow, quiet and deliberate acquisition of authority by those who had crept in unawares. But Peter wasn't writing to mainline churches, he was writing to churches like ours that were less than 40 years old. And while we may not be open to the spread of immorality among us as these uh, were, with external and remotely accountable governments, we must guard against the infiltration of any teaching that runs counter to the clear teaching of Scripture. As Luke says, those things which are most surely believed among us 
even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministered ministers of the word. But just as those who come to a door, those within will not make their final intentions known until they have gained sufficient support. Peter doesn't give a step-by-step outline of how these people operate. He only points to the final results, intended or unintended, the denial of the Lord that bought them. Because the end results of their belief is a desire to be their own boss and live by their own rules. The denial of the Lord that bought them. This word Lord translates into our English word a despot. It doesn't mean merely master. It means an owner. An outright owner. And it suggests a complete and unconditional authority to which the slave must give full and unconditional submission. Whether mankind likes it or not, that is what Christ is. The Lord, the despot, the owner. We not only have owner and slave here, we have the slave market, the Lord that bought them. And because he purchased them, he owns them. Peter began his letter, Simon Peter, a servant, a bond slave. He operated in the knowledge that he no longer belonged to himself. Whether these subversives were true believers or not is not the point here. It is the fact that saved or unsaved, they were bought by Christ in his death on the cross at Calvary. And the result were owned, lock, stock, and barrel by him. 1 Corinthians 6 and 20 says, For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. First Peter 1, 18 and 19. For as much as ye know that ye are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation, received by tradition from your fathers, but by the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish, and without spot. Christ's ownership of mankind is not based here on the fact that he is God over all, or that he is their creator. It is based on the price he paid for them. The shedding of his precious blood in his death in Calvary. For God so loved the world 
that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Acts 20 and 28. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God which he has purchased with his own blood. In verse 1 we find too that these people, these false teachers, bring upon themselves swift destruction. I don't think that we can interpret this to mean that they will swiftly bring upon themselves destruction, but rather when the destruction finally comes, it will be swift and irreversible. Verse 2 says, And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. Many shall follow their ruinous ways. This is a warning to us that these false teachers will be good at what they do and they will be successful. Few will willing or knowingly follow teaching that is going to ruin them. So whatever they teach and how they teach it must be easy to accept. The only protection against it is familiarity with the true teaching of Scripture. It's said that for those who handle money it's more important that they first be taught how to recognize real money rather than fake. There's only too many fakes, but only one true. And so if you recognize the truth, if you're familiar with the teaching of the truth, you're less likely to be caught up with something that's fake no matter how enticing it looks. Verse 3 says, And through covetousness shall they with fain words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. It's almost a a hallmark of religious programming whether on TV or radio that they have something to sell some are legitimate but some are obvious fakes but all are means of getting you to support them financially it's sad to see some of the teaching Christian support and propagate with money they will have to give account of. Again, the judgment of these false teachers will not be overlooked. God has his own timetable. And in verse 4 we read, 
For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, <coughs> bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly, and turned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemning them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. <clears throat> we don't read very much about, if anything, of this incidence where God didn't spare the angels but cast them down into hell <coughs> or Tarturo as the, uh, the term was uh, to the lower caverns and delivered them assigned them to as a judge would assign a criminal to prison chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment but there are a couple of views as to what this sign to and I'm I'm open to discussion from the floor if any of you want to chip in. But the ones that <coughs> that make sense to me, if you turn to Genesis chapter 6, 1 to 7, we'll read a portion there. <coughs> Genesis 6 and 1 And it came to pass when men began to multiply in the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair and they took them wives of all which they choose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man for that he also is flesh Yet his days shall be an hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days, and after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men which were of old, men of renown. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of their hearts was only evil continually and it repented that the Lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him at his heart and the Lord said I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air for it repenteth me that I have made them. The sons of men, the sons, <coughs> the sons of God here, 
are held by some uh, to be the fallen angels. Part of the cohort of Satan that tried to take over the throne. Satan had said, I will be like the Most High. And there was war in heaven. And Satan and his angels were cast out. Some teach, and it seems a fair assumption, that the sons of God here were not just another branch of Adam's family. Because that would have not created giants in the land and men of renown. But there was something here uh, that was unnatural. A joining together of two things that were never intended to be. And God came in and destroyed them. And some teach that these people, these fallen angels that were involved in this are the ones that they were committed to chains of darkness. And he spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. There's another instance, turning of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes and condemned them with an overthrow, making them an ensample unto those that after should live ungodly. Sodom and Gomorrah was another instance of perverted sex that God said he would destroy. That was intended to be an example for those that should come after. And certainly our day and age is one that came after Sodom and Gomorrah. It was supposed to be, and it is, an example of what God considers uh, to be an abomination to him. So these people who are involved of that are without excuse. The people that we were talking about in, in verse 1 denying the Lord uh, that bought them and they're described later on in, in the chapter how that they are completely ungodly and they're ungodly in a moral way and so we have three different groups that God condemns uh, to complete destruction all connected with morality many shall follow 
their ruinous ways. We have to realize that we're not just fighting the false teachers. We're fighting against the people that they teach. Many shall follow their pernicious ways. And I believe the many here is not so much the teachers themselves as the ones they have been taught. So it spreads as we should be spreading the gospel. They are spreading a false teaching. We find that despite the problems of the day, God delivered just Lot. Verse 7. And he delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them, and seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. It was within Lot's power to move out of that city. When he first separated from Abraham, we read that he pitched his tent towards Sodom. In those days, it was an easy case to, to lift up the pegs, pull up the stakes, and move to somewhere else. But gradually, bit by bit, he had moved into the city and it's more difficult to give up what you've got in the city than it would have been out in the plains. But he chose to live within the city. And despite the fact that he was one of the few righteous men in that city, he still trusted him enough to give him a position of authority and he sat in the gate but his righteous soul was vexed and I think we find that when we are not in the Lord's will our soul is vexed we find something that's wrong if we are in a place that the Lord does not want us to be we can never be satisfied we can never be happy but we're thankful that the Lord knoweth how to deliver the ungodly out of temptations we can leave the Lord to look after the unjust and the day of judgment to be punished what he expects of us is a righteous life wherever we be but we should try and make 
sure that that's where the Lord wants us to be. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of trial. There are times in our lives when we don't know how to get out of the trials that we're in. But we're thankful that the Lord does. And he can arrange the circumstances for his glory and our glory too. And he speaks of reserving the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. And in verse 10 he says, But chiefly them that walk after the flesh and the lust of uncleanness and despise governments presumptuous of the self-willed they are not afraid to speak evil of dignities chiefly they that walk after the flesh God is concerned he made man in his own image he made them with a purpose and it must grieve him terribly to see the way that men and women treat God's gift to them the way they do. And one day they'll find out just how displeased God is. Over the past year especially I think we've seen the rise of this presumptuous of the self-willed they are not afraid to speak evil of dignities governments whether they deserve it or not are under attack from their own people as they have never been in the years that I've been around and every day it seems to be worse it's not that the people have anything better to replace it with it's just that they don't like what they've got they'd rather be their own boss not just afraid to speak evil of dignities whereas angels which are greater in power and might bring not railing accusation against them before the Lord. In Jude chapter 1 and 9 we read, Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, does not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee Moses died in the mount and nothing would have pleased Satan better than to be able to preserve that body and have it worshipped the bronze servant serpent had been preserved and kept and it became a, a snare to the people because in later years they began to worship it. Can you imagine 
what it would be like with the body of Moses. Lennon wouldn't have a look in. They'd be there to worship Moses. And God would not allow that to happen. Michael the angel rebuked him and said, The Lord rebuked thee. Verse 12, But these people, as natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of the things that they understand not, and shall utterly perish in their own corruption. Things that they don't understand. They don't understand that the Most High rules in the kingdoms of men. And it grieves me to listen to Christians who seem to have forgotten that as well. God is in control. He knows exactly what he's doing. We should be content. But these as natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed... What I think this means is that these are creatures, natural creatures, animals, if you will, without knowledge of God. When the animal dies, it goes into the ground. It has no future life. I am sorry for you cat and dog lovers but I don't think they're going to be there these are the people that are like that they have no direct knowledge of God and as such they will end up by being destroyed they will have no saviour Verse 13, they shall receive the reward of unrighteousness as they that count it pleasure to riot in the daytime. Spots they are and blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceivings while they feast with you. These are the false teachers. While they feast with you. I don't believe that the people who received this letter were sitting Sunday by Sunday or every day of the week realizing that in their midst were people like this. And this is why I I feel that it was still latent at this time. They were there, but they were biding their time working in their midst just like yeast and having as we find in verse 14 eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin beguiling unstable souls and heart they have exercised with covetous practice Cursed children, 
which have forsaken the right way and have gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Bozah, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but was rebuked for his iniquity. The dumbass, speaking with man's voice, forbade the madness of the prophet, for these are wells without water, clouds that are carried with a tempest, to whom the midst of darkness is reserved forever. We'll see that again we're faced with immorality. And so in Adam's time and Lot's time in Peter's time and in our time the warning sign is increased public immorality and certainly in this day and age that's for everyone to see but the warning is that these things are hidden until they boil over the things that we see changing in the mainline churches about us they were going on underneath the surface until such times as they felt that they could take the lead and by that time it was too late for the others to do anything about it but when they speak great swelling words of vanity they allure through the lusts of the flesh through much wantonness those that were clean escape from them who live in error these churches once preached the gospel but before long they weren't allowed to the ministers who did were transferred out of the area or left on their own account they promised the people liberty they themselves are the servants of corruption for of whom a man is overcome of the same as he brought in bondage for if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ they are again entangled therein and overcome the latter end is worse with them than the beginning for it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them but it has happened unto them according to the true proverb the dog has turned to his own vomit again and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire these are people I don't believe who knew Christ as their saviour they knew Christ and religion as a means of gain they knew the people of God as a means of gain and for people like that 
who have been so close to the Word of God, who have used it for their own aggrandizement, I don't think there is anything that they can be restored to. There are people whose consciences are seared as with a hot iron, and God leaves them to their ultimate end. And so again, the warning is to us as a congregation, uh, to us as leaders of the assembly, to be able to teach in a way that people are less likely to be deceived by what goes on round about them. To be careful of what we allow to be taught in the platforms be careful of what we allowed people to teach publicly and privately so that we cannot fall into the problems that these early churches were about to fall into or had already experienced. So each of us have our own responsibility. Each of us have the Spirit of God to guide us each of us have the Word of God to be able to read and understand. And each of us have a responsibility to be able to help the other to others to understand it as well. And as we converse one to another, as iron sharpens the iron, each of us will be benefited by it. So, Father, we thank Thee for the warning that You've given us against being complacent, and to realize that Satan is going about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he could devour, to realize that we have to be careful. We can't think that we stand because we may fall. And so help each one to continually turn to Thee for guidance, to be able to encourage and build, build up one another for the benefit of the assembly. Take us to our homes in safety, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.